Well, last week we started the first part of war stories. We had been on ghost stories, not so spooky stories about the Holy Spirit, where now we're on war stories, not so scary stories about spiritual warfare, okay? A war that we learned last week that we are constantly in in Revelations chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that, that we have a spiritual enemy, Satan, who has been warring against our God since his fall because of rebellion and he was cast out of heaven. Let me read briefly. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you in Revelations 12. And there was a war in heaven. Revelations chapter 12 verse 7. In heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, the devil, the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. Now that means literally thrown, cast out, your translation may say. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, called Diablos, or Satan, Santanus, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, the accuser, the accuser, the devil, Diablos, of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down, cast down, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb on the cross and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This great cosmic heavenly battle that started before time, before us, was first against God and now against us because we are his children and his soldiers here on earth. We went over last week in 1 Peter chapter 5 that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He's looking for someone to take down, to devour. Okay. Now, remember, as we said last week, that most Christians, most believers in Jesus Christ walk around totally unaware that they are born into a battle. They're born into a spiritual war. They're born into a battlefield. They're born physically in their physical birth, and then they're born in a rebirth when you become a, quote, born-again Christian. So you're born physically. See, the devil doesn't like babies. That's why he so, so uh, pushes abortion. That's why he pushes so much for people to, to, to kill babies and children. He doesn't like them. But then when you become a born-again Christian, you're born, as in John 3, 3, spiritually into a rebirth. He wants to kill that also. He's not happy with that. So you're born two times into a warfare that is going on. And the devil, our enemy, has, has a strategy, a military uh, uh, layered of, of rulers uh, called rulers and principalities, authorities, uh, powers of this dark world. Okay, we saw this in Ephesians. Uh, spiritual forces of evil in, in heavenly places, in heavenly realms. Okay, now remember his strategy that we went over last week, and I, and I named just a few of them, his, his battle strategy, first of all, was to undermine the character and the credibility of God, to cause havoc in your life, to cause doctrinal confusion and division and falsehood in the body of Christ. 
He also tries and comes to cause division in the body of Christ to split us. Because when we are split into factions, we are weakened just as in your family, if it would be. He tries to get you to trust in your own strength. He tries to get you to, to go into worldliness and to, and to become a hypocrite to the body of Christ and to the world. And then he tries to keep you from God's word and from prayer. And then we ended the message last week by saying, church, it's time to wake up. That our enemy is there and we need to wake up. We need to train ourselves. We need to strengthen ourselves to bolster ourselves as the body of Christ and be aware of this. Now today in part two, what I would like to do, and I've titled this Battlefield Strategies, but it's for us. Last week we looked at our enemy. It was called Profile of the Enemy. And we saw him and who he is and his strategies in this spiritual war. And today I want us to go over our battlefield strategies so that we can become effective and we can become mighty men and ladies of valor as God told Gideon oh mighty man of valor you see that's that's a, a wonderful statement to think and it kind of builds you up as though and I wish Dusty was here today in his Marine Corps uniform or if you had yours on today my brother and and to and, and to show what valor for someone who says here is my uniform Okay, now we've already read uh, last week. I'm going to read the full First Peter 5, 8 through 9 because I want you to get the, the gist of this. Now listen to this. In First Peter 5, 8 through 9, you don't have to turn there. I just want you to hear this. Listen, listen to what Peter says. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now listen to this. Be self-controlled, alert. Your enemy's prowling around to destroy you. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same suffering. Okay? Now, James 4, 7 says this. How many of you with children have sang that song? It's a, a famous children's song on James 4, 7. And that's how, you, how we just memorize it automatically. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and what? And he will flee from you. Now, there was a little children's song. Remember, we'd sing it to Caleb all the time. But... You have to submit to God, okay? Then you resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. Now, if, you have your, if, if you're in your Bibles right now at Ephesians chapter 6, now I want you to hear this. Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. Let me get to Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. Here we go. Got my marker. Shouldn't be too hard. The page is falling out. Okay, 10 through 14. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Very similar to what the Apostle Peter said. He says, finally, finally, my brothers. He said, we, we've been through all of these other things. We've been through all of the doctrinal issues. We've been through all of the relational issues with your parents and children and everything else. He says, now, now finally, listen to this. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground. And after you have done everything else, what? To stand. And verse 14, again, stand firm then. And then he lists all of the armor, which we're going to go over next week. And I have some practical demonstrations and application in your life for that. Listen, listen to me carefully. For years, I've been trying to get this church to memorize 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Can anyone in here recite it? I know Brother Tim can because he recited it the other day. Don't be bashful. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, right? But our weapons are mighty in God through Christ Jesus. What? For pulling down what? Strongholds. Taking every imagination, taking every pretension, everything that would want to lift itself up against the what? Knowledge of God. And taking every what? Thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. For eight years, I've been trying to get everyone in here to memorize that scripture. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your car, on your dashboard, whatever. Go to sleep listening to it. It's safe because it deals with what I'm preaching on now. Because we are under attack every day of our Christian walk. And even if we can memorize that scripture, it will keep us in a particular place. And that's your first point. Here's where it's going to keep us. It's going to keep us not only prepared with the word of God... But it's going to keep us in a wartime mentality. And that's your first point. Our strategy, our battle strategy starts with staying in a wartime mentality. I remember my first pastor, Brother Francis, telling us that all the time. He said a wartime mentality is completely different than a peacetime mentality. Okay? Now... Ephesians 6.10, we just said, finally be strong in the Lord. Put on the, final, the full armor of God that you can stand. And he says again, stand your ground. Then he says stand and then stand firm. Four times he uses that word right there. 1 Peter 5, we just read, says stay alert. Stay alert. Stay alert. Be ready for the evil day, for the day when your enemy comes so that you can be ready to resist him. Now, if we stay aware, if we stay in a wartime mentality, aware of this ongoing battle with Satan that's going on, we will not be taken by surprise. And that's one of our enemy's tactics. He wants to take us by surprise. It's, it, it's, it's really strange how we can be even walking in the grocery store or or we can be walking down the sidewalk and totally unaware of who is around us or what is around us. Are you with me? Have you ever been shopping and someone just walked up next to you and just scared the daylights out of you? Have you been there? Yesterday I was working in the yard trying to beat the rain, trying to mow the grass, and I, and I, and I had my, my, my weed eater. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm weed eating, and all of a sudden I sense the presence of this big person next to me and I just jump back with that weed eater I mean like I'm going to really do a man with a weed eater okay and and it was our son Caleb and Stephanie who had come over to visit 
and, and he scared the dickens out of me. I was just, you're unaware because you're so much, right? Don't we go all our lives every day, tomorrow morning, we, it's like we, we forget about this, and we forget that there's spiritual warfare, and we forget that it's real, and we go on with our lives and our work and everything else, and then we get blindsided by the enemy. If you stay in a wartime mentality, that won't happen. He wants us unaware. He wants us spiritually lazy, lulled, lulled into inactivity in God's word or even in prayer. How many of you remember Nikita Khrushchev, who was the, uh, was the head of Russia? One day in the United Nations, he said, we will take the United States without firing a shot. Remember that famous statement? What do you think that meant? It meant that they weren't going to have to really attack us. It meant we would just lull ourselves. We would just lazy ourselves. And they would just come in and take us without firing a shot. And that's what the enemy, the devil, wants us to do. A wartime mentality brings unity, purpose, courage, ownership, sacrifice, a peacetime mentality usually brings laziness, indulgence, false security, and disunity. And this is a very, very dangerous place to be. Let me tell you something, church. I'm a child of the 60s, okay? Came up in the whole Vietnam, the whole thing, and, and everything else. I saw firsthand what peace at any cost brings, okay? I saw what that brings. I saw what love without commitment brings i saw what privilege without responsibility brings and i want to tell you what it brings it brings an entire generation lost in self-indulgence in moral decay and dependence on the government that's what it brings but when you have a wartime mentality like our nation has had in times past, in World War II, even I remember in the, in the first Gulf War, we were at Family Life Church's Wednesday night service, and I was preparing for a, a leadership meeting, and the hallway door just burst open, and the youth pastor, Alden Bodwan, hollered out frantically. He said, we're bombing Baghdad. I'll never forget that. Now, you talk to our parents, those of us who have parents who are still alive, who were around in World War II, they remember turning that radio on and hearing our president say that Pearl Harbor had been bombed. Well, what happens is our nation comes together at a time. Remember 9-11? How we came together. And, I, and really, I was hoping, church, that I, I was hoping, uh, my brothers and sisters, that that was going to bring the body of Christ together and the nation that we would see revival and all. It lasted three or four weeks. More people came to church for three or four weeks, and then they went right back into their peacetime mentality. But remember that when President Bush stood on that heap of rubble at 9-11, and he said, we will find you, and we will, you will pay for what you have done here, and the resolve of the American people will not be broke. Y'all remember that? It brought such a unity. It brought such a strength. It brought, well, the same thing applies with us in Christianity. The same thing applies with us. We need to come together as the body of Christ and see that there's a war going on. And we have to combine our faith. We have to stick together in prayer. We have to rise up in unity and resolve and tenacity to fight those battles for our marriages, for our family, for our church, for those things in our life that we are dealing with. But most of the time we don't. What we do is we just enter in 
to a state of nothingness. We are lulled in, and he comes in and he takes whatever he wants. He grabs whatever territory he wants without us fighting at all. At all. So our number one strategy should be to keep a wartime mentality. Secondly, we should strengthen our weakest, our weakest battlefronts, our weakest points, okay? Now, I've never been in the military, but if I, if I would ask Brother Darren or if Dusty was here or if Brother Daniel was here who served two tours, and, and I'm sure there are other men here, Brother Bob w- w- was in the service, and, and, and if I were to ask you about this weakest battlefront, this weakest point, you could probably give me a 30 or 40-minute lecture on what that means. Is that correct? He's shaking his head. Yeah, sure you can because they understand that. Listen to what Scripture says. Our weapons are divinely powerful for pulling down. Now listen, strongholds for demolishing arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now listen, Romans chapter 12. Paul is saying, I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but transform by the renewing of your mind. Colossians chapter 3, Paul again. They understood this completely. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. For Christ seated you at the right hand of God. Set your minds, that word there means thoughts, wills, and affections, on things above. Not on, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now listen to the battlefronts that those three scriptures alone contain. Battlefronts. Strongholds, which are territories that have been given up in your life. Arguments and pretensions. Willful. Willful. That, those two words there mean willful. They, that doesn't mean something that was taken from you or forced on you. You have willfully entered into a mental state of debate. And I think my way is the best way. And this is No, that's what that means. That's what's going on there. Thoughts. Believing the lies of the many. Our bodies. That's a battlefront. Our body is a battlefront where we, the devil wants us in, in, into carnal thinking, into the lusts of our flesh and satisfying those fleshly things, our wills and our affections. This is another battlefront, okay? Now, again, something that I've been trying to teach you when I'm, when I'm long gone, I hope you all remember this, is that we're made up of three things. We're made up of a body, right, which is our earth tent, right? So we all have a body, which is an earth tent. That's all it is. I mean, you know, from dust to dust. Paul called it an earth tent, all right? We have a soul and we have a spirit. Our spirit man, our spirit person, our spirit is where our conscience is. Our spirit is where the Holy Spirit speaks to us, that still small voice where we feel these unctions and directions from the Holy Spirit. But our soulish realm, that that third part of us, is our what? Mind, will, and emotions. Now, if I can please get you all to understand this, I can please understand this, that the spirit battle has already been won. Look over there, that cross. It's already won. He already did it. Jesus said, it is finished. The body is going to die, okay, and we'll have a heavenly body, a perfected body, okay? But the, but the soulish realm is what we deal with here on earth, and it is where the devil battles us. It's his realm that he wants to draw us into mind will and emotions because he knows and here here's your warning please listen i'm speaking to you as soldiers today here's your warning soldiers 
Listen to me. Your enemy wants you fighting his fight in his realm, the soulish realm. Because he will beat you to death in the soulish realm. If he can get you in a fight of will, where it's your will, I'm, I've got a strong will, and I know that I can beat this, and I've got every self-help book that's ever been written, and I know that I can, I can sit down and grip my teeth and all. Well, you grit your teeth till you're down to the gums, but you're going to lose because you're in his realm. Until you say, devil, you're going to enter my ring, which is a spiritual ring. You're going to enter into the realm of the spirit because my battle is won by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I have victory because of the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. And you cannot have me or my children in the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Get your hands off of them. Then he is shaking and shattering and he's running. For every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus as Lord. And you start calling on the name of Jesus. You see, then you're not in his ring. You're not fighting in his realm, brother. You're not fighting his fight. He's fighting your fight. And he's already lost that one. Because our Lord and Savior, our champion, already beat him. Are you with me? So please, church, don't get drawn into his fight. And I've shared this many times with you. I, I, I don't know about y'all, but I've seen many films of, of, of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, when he was a young man. Brother, he was unbeatable. And the devil wants you in his ring fighting his fight like Muhammad Ali got him to all fight his fight with his rope-a-dope tactics and everything else. And he, they were beat before they stepped in the ring. Please hear me. Don't fight the devil's fight. Now, here's your question. What, what does this mean to me? Yeah, but what does this mean to me? Well, which one of your fronts needs to be strengthened? Where's your weakest link here? Where's your battlefront that needs to be strengthened? Is it the fleshly realm? Are you having to deal with anger all the time? With lust? With, with greed? Do you have a weak link or a weak battlefront Front line with stubbornness and self-righteousness or being strong-willed, unbendable. It's my way or the highway. No compromise, okay? Are you an emotional roller coaster? You know, I mean, one day the world is, you know, doom, gloom, and despair on me, whatever that country song used to be. And the next day everything's fine. I mean, you're having emotional problems. Are you selfish, self-centered? Are you self-serving? Listen to me, dear ones. Listen to me. Every one of us has a weak battlefront, an area that could be strengthened. It doesn't mean that you're the, 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 the most horrible thing walking the face of the earth and God is up there looking at you and saying, oh, I'm so ashamed of him. Every one of us, including me, we have an area that we could work on. And you see, that's the one we need to work on because that's the one the enemy's going to come at for you. He's going to come at that area. Because he knows it's your weakest battlefront. So our strategy number two is that we've got to do that. Now, if you don't know, just a little tip here. If you don't know, you say, well, I don't know. What is my weakest battlefront, Brother Marshall? Well, ask me. I'll tell you. And if you don't believe me, ask your children. And if you don't believe them, ask your wife or your husband. If you don't believe them, ask your boss. If you think, well, he's just my boss. He's trying. Ask the people you work with. They'll tell you. Thirdly, 
thirdly, your strategy, understand who is really in your corner. Understand who is the head of your battalion who's really fighting for you. 1 Samuel chapter 17, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Judges chapter 7. 1 Samuel 17, just to let you know quickly, that's where David, King David, is a young kid and he goes out, you're pretty much all familiar with the story, to fight Goliath, a nine foot tall giant. Nine feet. I mean, this guy made the shack look like he was a little bitty. Nine feet. And he's gone out to fight him. Nobody wants to fight Goliath. Goliath is taunting the Israelites. He's saying, come on, guys. That's the best you got. Send me somebody who can. Just send me one and we'll go toe-to-toe. And whoever wins, he's thinking, I got this in the bag. Listen, listen to what David says. He says, you come to me, you big oaf. He, he, was, he was taunting him. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Listen to this. All those gathered here will know that it was not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And King David, and we're going to learn this in two weeks from now. I'm, I'm going ahead of myself, but I'll tell you anyway. I'll tell you, uh, I'll give you a, head, a little head start here. He charged the giant. He ran toward him with a slingshot. Okay? Second Chronicles, you have, you have a King Joseph, Jehoshaphat who's fixing to go against the, uh, the Amorites. And, and, and God speaks to this, this young man, Jehaziel, and he says, go tell him this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, and he told King Jehoshaphat, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, verse 17, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm. You see, stand firm. That's Ephesians. Same thing. See the deliverance the Lord will give you. Go out and face them, and the Lord will be with you. You see, they understood who was in our corner, who was pushing us out there in that corner and say, go get them. I'm right behind you. I'm the one. I got the knockout punch. Don't worry about it. I'll be there moving your arms. A few weeks ago, I preached on Gideon. God goes to Gideon, and God tells Gideon, you got 32,000 soldiers. He said, I want you to thin them out here. He said, I want, you to, I want you to give some of them vacations. Tell some of them they can go home. Make a long story short, he went from 32,000 down to 300. And he defeated the enemy. He defeated the enemy. And listen, listen to what Scripture says. This is what God told him. He said, get it down to 300. He said, So that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Now, notice the pattern here in every one of these stories. Dear ones, listen to the pattern. Listen to the pattern. Here here it is. It's scripture. It's in in Romans 8.31, by the way. If God is for you, who can be against you? He's fighting your battle. Listen, if God is for you, who can be against you and he wants you to know that and he wants you to 
Give him glory for it. He wants you to tell everyone, I didn't do this. God is doing this for me. He wants you to give him the credit and the glory. He is not a secret pen pal. He wants you to tell everyone, hey, this ain't me. Believe me, I can't do this, but my God can. Okay? This isn't some kind of undercover thing that God is doing. He wants you to say, listen, I don't know how to do this, but my God can do it for me because he can defeat the enemy and I give him all the glory. Why? Why is it? Now, now here's, here's our question on this point. Why is it that we leave God out of our battles so often? All of us, including me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, times that I've heard June say, Marshall, Marshall, don't you see this? Have you, has your wife ever told you that? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Why do we leave him out? I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've only come up with two reasons that I can think of. If you have another one, you let me know. Okay? One of them is just ignorance, where you're unaware. You don't know. Okay? Or you're so busy and involved in it that you, you can't think of it. So it's just ignorance. I mean, the, ignorance doesn't mean stupid. It just means you don't, you don't see it. It means lack of education. You don't. Okay? So it's just ignorance. The other one is pride, where you're just prideful. You don't want to say, hey, you don't want to truly underneath everything say, I can't beat this. I can't do this on my own, and I need God in my corner. I need the one who has already defeated my enemy. And so you fight it on your own over and over and over, and you lose every time, time and time and time again. So you got ignorance and you got pride. Ignorance is easy to deal with. All you got to do is just come come here this this this. Uh, this series I'm on, or open your Bible, or listen to someone who's, who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Ignorance is easy. Pride is the hard one to deal with. Because pride blinds you. And pride also, Scripture says in James 4, 7, listen to this. Pride, pride gets God out of the way. And Scripture says in James 4, 7 that God resists the proud. So now you not only do you have the enemy who's after you, chasing you down to try to beat you to a pulp, but you've got God who is resisting you because it says he resists the proud. Look, I don't want God resisting me in anything at all. Now here's the good news. Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 20. Let me read it to you, and I want you, this is an interactive message here, okay? Listen, Ephesians 1, 20 through 22, and I, I read this to you a few weeks ago. That power, the power of the cross, that power, the powers, the power that believers possess, okay? That power. Say it with me. Say, the power that I possess. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, Brother Michael. Okay. Say it with me again. The power that I possess. In Christ Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I want everyone to do this. Say, say, I am a spiritual muscle man. Come on. Now, you, now you're getting it, my brother. You got it. I believe you believe it. Come on. Come on. Do your arms like this. Ladies, too. Or you can say a, a person, spiritual muscle person, whatever. I don't want this. is not a gender thing. All right. <laughs> Okay, look, come on, come on. I am a spiritual muscle man. 
Come on, some of you sitting there like y'all are some, like you, you're just sitting there and I'm going, Lord. And then when he come beat you up, you're going to wonder why. You're going to say, my goodness gracious, I'm getting all beat up. Well, you didn't go to gym class on Sunday. Come on. Come on. I am a spiritual muscle man. I believe you got it now. I believe you got it. Now, look, the first one of you that hits your husband when you get home, I, I am going to fuss at you. Don't want y'all slapping each other and hitting each other. Listen to me. All right. I'm a spiritual muscle man. Now, listen to this. That power that we possess is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms far above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion talking about the devil and his evil forces and every title that can be given and God placed all things under his feet. Now come on, you, I'm not going to make y'all stand up but I want you to take your feet and pat them on the, on the cement a little bit here. Come on. I am a spiritual muscle man. Say it with me. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, I got. That's not too good English, but I have. And I take every enemy. Come on, say it with me. I take every enemy, every dominion. Every title and, and put them on you, put them under your feet right now. And I put them under my feet. Come on, guys. Who's getting tired of getting beat up by the devil? Tired. I'm sick and tired of it. When our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit who lives in us has empowered us to say, devil, you get away from me because I have been given authority over all of your power. And according to Ephesians 1, the power that is in me, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is far more powerful than you. And I take authority over you and I cast you away. I hurl you away right now in the name of Jesus. You see, that's what the church needs to be doing. That's what spiritual warfare is all about. And we have it because of our Father in heaven. Have you ever had someone pick on one of your kids? Come on, I see y'all grinning. Have you ever had someone pick on one of your kids? Did you just say, well, go on ahead and just beat them up? You just have your way with them. Just, just go on ahead when you through, I'll whip them too. Come on, come on, come on, what happens? Someone picking a bully, picking on your kid. Doesn't something rise up in you? I don't care what size you are. It could be a little bitty, little bitty mama about that tall. Someone start picking on her baby. Let me tell you something. She's coming. She's going to have a broom or a bat or something. She's coming after him. Is that correct? You're right, a mama bear, brother. You are right. We're building this building. I share a quick story with you. And the, and the people who put up the, the metal building and we had no gripes or whatever, and I had told them that we would pay them in installments and it was completely finished, that they would get the last installment. And they hadn't come. They hadn't finished some stuff. And so I didn't pay them. And, and I said, look, I told you all, we, well, we're going to come finish it. I said, no, I told you all, when you all finish, I'm going to give you that installment because we were dealing with Chase Bank. And it wasn't just me. You can ask Ms. Beth. I couldn't, you know, it was, 
we had to we had to make draws and all that kind of stuff okay y'all know how that goes i wasn't trying to be ugly i just said hey you got to finish it before you get your money and man we're in here working one day and the owner of the business walks in here man he was he was a he was a pretty feisty little fella man he owned the business and he walked in he said i came in here to get my check well it was me and caleb we'd work here every day and caleb and i were standing right over there now caleb is my son he's our worship leader but he's my son he's my son first and 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 he this man is talking to me and everything and caleb said something he looked at caleb he said i didn't talk to you he said i'm talking to him right there Ooh, something rose up in me let me tell you something I went walking toward that man. He was about, I walked toward him. I said, let me tell you something. I said, he's my son. And I said, anything I say, he says. I said, anything that goes on, he goes on with him too. He speaks to me. I said, you got it? He said, oh, my God, this pastor might hit me here. <laughs> I wasn't going to hit him, but I wanted him to know, don't you come talking like that to my son. Well, guess what? Come on, every one of you in here, guess what? Guess what? You have a daddy just like that. Even more so than that. Why do we leave him out of our battles? And just for the record, don't you try to say something bad about me in front of my son. He will separate your head from your shoulders. He, he, I've seen him a couple of times. He will say, don't you dare say that about my father. He, okay? And we have that in heavenly realms. Okay? And then lastly, listen carefully. Train. Our strategy, train and get involved in offensive fighting. Offensive fighting, not just defensive. See, that was a strategy that, that Muhammad Ali had to wear them out. And he'd just take that punishment, that rope-a-dope stuff. But offensive strategy, you have to be offensive. You have to be able to attack at certain times. Ephesians 6, 17 through 18. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and we'll get into this in detail next week, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, okay? With this be, uh, in this mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. These are offensive weapons, okay? Two offensive, the Word of God and prayer. Hebrews 4, 12. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword in mark chapter 9 verse 29 chapter 9 it, there's a story about the disciples who tried to uh, cast out a demon from a, a man's son and and they couldn't do it and the man came to jesus and, and he said would you please cast this demon out and and jesus kind of got frustrated he went oh, oh lord 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 he, he 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 was frustrated with him and he just spoke to the demon and cast it out of the young man and the disciples came to him in verse 29 and they said lord why couldn't we cast this demon out? And he looked at them and he said, listen, listen, this is a quote. He said, some come out only by prayer. And in another text, it says by prayer and fasting. Okay. Prayer and fasting is, is offensive weapons. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The fervent prayer of a righteous man, the veil is much. That's the way we learned it in New King James and New King James. Okay, it's powerful and it's effective. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. I want to give you all a little go home nugget here for spiritual warfare. Listen carefully. Okay. I learned this from my daddy. This is not from a book. This is not from a, a, from any whatever. Listen carefully. You can't reason with a bully. And you can't dance with the devil. 
Come on. You understand that, huh? Huh, my brother? That's, see, they taught him this in the Marines. You cannot reason with a bully, and you cannot dance with the devil. I want to read a story that I read to y'all before, and I'll read it again. I should have got it out easier than that, huh? I might have to go up there and get it. You can't reason with a bully, and you can't dance with the devil. You got to be offensive sometimes. Listen to this story. When I was a boy, my dad once told me, never start a fight, son. But if you have no option, hit first, hit fast, and hit hard. Never start a fight. Never pick. Never push. Never be a bully. But if you have no option, hit first, hit fast, and hit hard. I had forgotten those words until one night my six-year-old son, full of freckles on his face, told me two classmates were throwing rocks at him while they were walking to school every morning. Right, this man was a pastor for like 26 years. Uh, we met him, Brother Kirk, remember? Bill Perkins? Nice guy. After swallowing my anger and deciding to withhold my dad's advice, I looked Ron in the eyes and said, tell him to stop. He said, I did, Dad, and they just laughed at me and picked up another rock. I said, ask your mother to tell him to stop. He said, I did. And what did she do? Come on, Dad, what do you think happened? They ignored her. Naively believing that all fathers had the wit of Bill Cosby and the wisdom of Ben Cartwright, I told Ryan I'd call the father of one of the boys. A few minutes later, I picked up the phone and called Walt, a bear of a man I had met at one of those boarding school meetings. He seemed nice enough, and I was assumed he would want to work it out peacefully. Walt, your boy's been throwing rocks at Ryan during their morning walk to school. I was hoping if you'd ask him to kind of throw them in the other direction. After a silence, Walt cleared his throat and said, You know, Bill, when I was a boy, my dad always told me to work out things myself. Why don't we just let the boys work it out? I quickly surmised Walt had graduated from the Homer Simpson School of Parenting and didn't believe in parental intervention. Yeah, my dad used to tell me the same thing, Walt. That's what I'm going to do. I didn't mention the specifics my dad told me. I hung up the phone and returned to Ryan's room and told him. I spoke with Joe's dad. Yeah, what did he say? In that moment, I had a very important decision to make. It took me about half a second. I looked at my son and said, He said if his son picks up a rock tomorrow that you're supposed to hit him first, fast, and hard. Ryan cocked his head to one side and with a look of disbelief said, You're kidding, huh, Dad? He said, Yeah, I'm kidding, but that's what I want you to do. Whoa, Brother Marshall, you're, you're backing up violence? Occasionally, someone will ask me how I could give such advice in light of Jesus' command to turn the other cheek when you're hit. 
I don't believe Jesus told us not to defend ourselves. I think he was teaching us not to allow someone else to control our behavior. If we hit and retaliate, the person who hit me has control over my behavior. Jesus wanted his followers to submit to him, not to their passions. We'll see later, even Jesus fought to defend what he valued. Anyway, Ryan wasn't concerned about theology and all those things. The next day, I felt like a trainer waiting for the judge's decision at the end of a 12-round fight. I left work early to meet Ryan when he got home. At 2.30, he walked through the front door with a smiling face, all of his teeth and all of his freckles in place and no broken bones or bruises. He said, Pop, I did exactly what you told me to do. Joe started to pick up the rock to hit me, to, to throw at me, and I hit him. He started crying and said, I'm going to tell your dad. And Ron said, go on ahead. He's the one who put me up to it. I said, what happened next? He said, he stopped crying and we walked to school together. I tell this story because I'm convinced most fathers would urge a son or daughter to stand up to a bully. Now, y'all know that I'm not a violent man. And you know that I don't believe in violence. But this week I was talking to someone. This week. And I said, brother, you're going to have to get offensive in this fight. You're going to have to start using some offensive weapons. You're going to have to start what I call using some preemptive tactics. Y'all know what that means? That means you're going to have to do a few battles ahead of time here. See, the strongest defense is a strong offense. Are you aware of that? And I told y'all that cute story so that you could understand this point. Sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, we need to start attacking the devil ahead of time instead of sitting around and waiting until he busts our nose and then we go into spiritual warfare. We need to start staying offensive ahead of time, praying every day, reading the Word every day, praying a hedge around our family and our marriage and our children and our church and our pastors and everything that is important to us.